You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. This week, Elon sent Falcon Heavy up to put his Tesla Roadster with the space-suited mannequin Starman playing Bowie on the stereo into an orbit around Mars and missed slightly, sending it out towards the asteroid belt instead. Meanwhile, the flat earther Mad Mike Hughes failed to get his steam-powered rocket to lift off again. Mac update served up crypto miner infected files and a flaw in Hotspot Shield VPN can expose users' locations. Now, that's all fine and dandy, but much more importantly, we have a very special guest coming up on the second part of this show. Bob Geiger from Adobe. Yes. That Adobe joins us to talk about the Elements versions of Photoshop and Premiere, the no-subscription home user versions of two of Adobe's big hitter professional applications. All that and more, and I've finally done the intro on this week's show. Hello, Simon. How are we doing this evening? I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. And if the listeners knew how many times you had to do that intro to get it right, they would be falling off their chairs laughing. I'm on marker 73 right now, given the amount of work that I've just done. Oh, man. Uh, well, we yeah, we're going to do something a bit different this week. We've got Bob coming up in the second part of this show. So we, we're just going to ramble on for half an hour. We've got some stories here. You put the hard work in, so it seems a shame to waste them. Oh, what a week. What a week. We've had the earnings call was last week. I don't know. I'm just on so many meds. Um, but we'll crack on. Um, so Apple to repair iPhone 7Ss with no service free. With no, oh, here we go. <laughs> Apple to repair iPhone 7s with no service bug for free. And this is in, in Gadget. This seems to be a bit of a new Apple at the moment, fixing things for free, not saying that you're holding it wrong. What's going on with them? This this one, uh, apparently, certain a certain batch, quite a small number, I think, but a certain batch of uh, iPhone 7Ss appear to have a problem where either they will simply display no service uh, even though it's showing the bars for your for your provider if you put it into airplane mode and then take it out it will refuse to uh, pick up your service again uh, apparently this is a hardware fault apple have said it's a hardware fault there's a component failure on the logic board and that they have put out the affected serial number uh, ranges so if your phone is affected by that and you have this problem, you can get it replaced for, or fixed for free. And if you've already paid to have this problem fixed uh, and have proof of said expense, Apple will now reimburse you because they've accepted that it's a fault in the phone. Yeah, just so, just remember, don't turn up to the store and think that it's going to be a pleasant experience if you haven't booked an appointment. Trust me, from someone who breaks his neck every time he goes in there, I think I spend about 45 minutes before being told, oh, yeah, there's nothing we can do. We can, You can either come back a week next Tuesday, quite appropriate, or, oh, why? Why is Netflix? Why? Oh, I hovered over an advert in Engadget and it just started playing noise at me. In fact, can I get it to do it again? No. Uh, anyway, long story short, don't go in. But it, it's... Oh, what bugs me, and I know I shouldn't get upset about this, is that Apple gets a slack for all this. You know, they get all the, the nonsense news stories. And yet the Google Pixel 2s 
suffer from issues where the phone dialer stops working, where the microphone stops working. Um, the dots, you can use voice recognition, but nothing happens. So it's detecting something. And Google very, very quietly released a sort of note to everyone saying, yeah, we believe there's a microfiber crack on one of the um, cables. So what happens is if you hold it or you're, it gets hotter or colder, this crack affects the problem. Now, they initially started off with trying to say to anyone, you know, oh, well, you got to take it back to where you you bought it from and all things like that. But now they're actually taking a bit of responsibility and actually dealing with the complaints themselves. However, I had this problem in work. So I went on to Google. I did the whole chatty, chatty thing with the man. And to be fair, the email exchanges were really good. It, It wasn't the fastest thing. I'd say about eight hours for a response. Well, yeah, 8, 12, 14 hours. If you're dealing with someone via email, I'd say that's about fair in the grand scheme of how big these places are. And they sent me out a phone. Brilliant. This was done on the 1st. What are we on today? The 8th are we on? Yes, we're on the 8th. And my phone hasn't arrived. Okay. So I go in and check the mail. It says, your phone has been sent out by UKLM. Who? What? You Google UKLM and it brings up some weird stock share. It was only for the fact I know it's UK Mail Limited or something like that. I managed to find it only to then find out it had been sent on the first, gone somewhere on the second. There was a note that said, call us. I didn't get an email about this, by the way. And now the phone that is supposed to be a replacement for someone who needs it in the field is now back with Google. Now, this is now this is where it gets really interesting. So there's a number to call. You call that number. You get through to a man who tells you about the Kobe, uh, Kobayashi Maru complex in Star Trek. You're thinking, brilliant. This <laughs> man can help me. Ah, yeah, sir, you know, I'd really love to help you on this. Oh, brilliant, fantastic. You know, if I could do more, I would. Sorry? We've got a slight problem. Yeah. Because of the security on this phone and on your account, I can't help you. You've got my IMEI number. You've got my uh, contract. You've got my RMA. Why can't you help me? And to be fair, he was really nice, really polite. I wasn't arsy towards him. No, because I'd phoned them, I'd failed the security. I kid you not, I failed security because I phoned them. I proved I had the phone. I answered all the questions. Instead, he had to take my email address to send me a email with a button that says, call me now. I then had to press that button to call him now. Sorry, it was a button that they would call me back. So they send me an email for a button that I click to send them an email to them to call me. And that apparently gets you around a whole other security questions. <laughs> That's the sort of week that I'm having and my blood pressure still. Uh, and I, I won't tell you about the thing about my doctor where he called me up to say, oh, your blood pressure's fine. No, it's not. It really isn't. And he'd go, oh, yeah, I can see that. You best go go back on your pills. But that's a completely different story. So anyway, (laughs) I just thought I'd share a little bit of a story there about dealing with Google. So far, I've got to say, uh, it's not my phone, so I don't care. Uh, But the experience hasn't been too bad. Now, this next story, I'm a little bit jealous of. 
because I wanted to get into this because I've got loads of computers at work that I could set quietly going. And this is all about uh, cryptocurrency miners. So what's happened here this week is hackers have infiltrated Mac updates to now they've infected a few specific apps. It's not like the whole website is doomed. Uh, it's the apps that you download that have crypto miners in them. Uh, now let's have a look here. The In the story it says, both Onyx and Deeper products made by Titanium Software, titanium-software.fr, uh, were changed to point the URLs at titaniumsoftware.org. And if you were to download that software, you would be unwittingly downloading a crypto miner. This takes the, a whole new step towards, well, was it last year we were talking about websites that you visit? Uh, yeah, well, it would have been last year, weren't it? Yes, yes, we were. Uh, yeah, there were, I know specifically, I don't know how many products were affected, and it's not the first time this has happened to Mac Update. And don't get me wrong, Mac Update is not a, a particularly shady site. They're, you know, they're long established, uh, fairly well regarded i think the problem their problem really started when instead of simply uh keeping a catalog of apps and what had been recently updated and pointing back to the original sites they started i believe hosting a lot of downloads themselves and this has happened to them before where they've had um apps which have been either inserted into their catalog or the, the pointers have been changed to download infected versions. And this week, the ones which specifically I know were infected because uh, Mac Jim in the Slack room brought this up. He got an email from Mac Update saying, if you have downloaded Firefox, Onyx, and another one, Diva, I think, which I'm not familiar with, that then you need to download this Apple script from us to remove the crypto miner. Now, Mac Jim was somewhat dubious about this and probably quite rightly so. So uh, I I suggested he download uh, Malwarebytes 3.1, the free edition. Yeah. Which did, in fact, point out that uh, that he did have some of these apps. Onyx, I think, was the one he had. That fixed it for him. And then the story uh, broke elsewhere, which proved that it was uh, it was legit and that Mac Update had actually, you know, it wasn't a, a fish. It was a genuine email from Mac Update warning him that he might have downloaded an infected file. Not great for Mac Update. Um, a bit sad because, you know, Mac Update is a good resource. Although I tend to use, if I do use Mac Update now, I tend to use it to, if it tells me something is updated. I will usually then go not follow their links, but I will go manually to the developer and download yeah. um, something like Firefox really should update itself or at least tell you itself. It does. Um, it, I'm not sure what versions will do it because I'm, the new Firefox version that I'm actually using in work is an absolute blinding, blinding browser on Windows anyway. The only oh, thing what, I have the quantum, the yeah. new quantum version. Yes, it's yeah. fabulous. I mean, going back a bit, do we all remember when Firefox first appeared and they had a huge advertising campaign saying, you know, break away from Microsoft Windows, not uh, Windows Explorer, Microsoft Explorer, Internet Explorer. And Firefox became, you know, the browser of choice for hundreds of thousands of people. But gradually over time, it, it seemed to fall behind to become bloated and sluggish and uh, Google kind of you know google brought out 
their Chrome, which rapidly rose to be probably number one browser in the world. And Firefox sort of fell into obscurity, but Firefox has brought done this new quantum version and it really is a blindingly good browser. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be enough for them to regain some market share, but they deserve to because it's a very, very good browser. It is the only thing I would say about it is I don't know why, but inbox.gmail.com or Gmail, I know Gmail works fine, but inbox.gmail.com just runs like an absolute pig. And I don't know why and haven't worked it out. But of course, in Chrome, uh, it's a lot better. But it's so far, unlike the previous versions of Firefox, I haven't sort of had to feel like, all right, I better go and fire up Google just to do this, just to do that. Uh, I really have enjoyed um, using Quantum so much so I might even stick it on the old Mac because Safari is uh, getting a bit janky. Oh yes, I've, I've got it on the on the Mac because I don't use Google Chrome obviously anymore since I basically divorced myself from Google. Um, and you know we were talking about Vivaldi. Yes, you. When we had Scott on, we were talking about Vivaldi, the one that allows you to do uh, vertical reading for. East Asian languages, which is not oh, something yes. that interests me because I don't read East Asian languages, unlike Scott. But I did download a copy um, and I've tried it. it. It is a blindingly good browser. I'm not sure it will tempt me away from Safari. I'm I'm too wedded to my iCloud keychain and my cross-device integrations in the Apple ecosystem. But it is a fabulously good browser. I will say that. I'm sure it's not perfect because I've only used it a little bit. But if you're interested in looking at an alternative to the to the names that have become entrenched, it's well worth a look. And the fact that you have this sidebar where you can put like mini rather than pinned tabs for sites you like, you can have like mini live previews in your sidebar. So you can have these web web panes. Do you remember the days of frames, frames on websites? Oh, I think we all want to forget about that. Yes, well, but in in a manner not like frames, but in that kind of vein, you can have a a, a bunch of websites in like picture in picture, if you like, in the sidebar, which is quite a natty little thing. And it has a markdown note taker and various other things. it's, it's, It's pretty good. Pretty good. Well worth a look. And speaking of updates, there's been more shenanigans over the old melt. Uh, what's it called now? Meltdown and Spectre patches. I had this at work, and it completely almost ruined my Surface Pro. Uh, so I had to go and do a bit of a restore. Uh, but now Intel have decided that they're going to release some patches. Intel has said that a working update, free of any nasty side effects, is now shipping. And this is the important bit to its PC partners with a fresh code that doesn't call system instability. Although the new patch address is just a subset of the affected users following on from those who own Skylake-based Core or Core M processors. What Intel said late last month, it was testing a fix for Haswell and Broadwell PCs. It's still yet to roll this out. So basically, it's kind of like Intel saying, well, if you want to be safe, uh, you best get a new processor. I would be singing if I was AMD right now. Because it's all about Intel. And I know that it does affect, um, in some ways it affects AMD processors. I'm sorry, I'm really not sort of up to date on AMD anymore. But I would go AMD just because I could say, yeah, I've got a Threadripper. Pure, (laughs) pure marketing 
genius. Um, marketing genius, yes. That is marketing gold, isn't it? Thread ripper. And right, we'll do. Uh, how long we got? Yeah, we'll do a couple. Of, right, so this is probably one for you then, Simon. A court rules that. <laughs> Sorry, I can't read this with a straight face. <clears throat> court rules that UK's digital surveillance powers are illegal. Take it away. As we know, the Snoopers Charter, aka the uh, what is it, digital investigatory powers or some such name, became law last year. Now this this is a. This is a is not quite what you might think. Uh, a a judge's decision will likely have knock-on effects on the Investigatory Powers Act. The court ruling uh, is about a legal challenge brought by a Labour MP, uh, Tom Watson, against the now defunct Data Retention and Investigatory Powers Act, known as DRIPA. Now that was actually passed in 2014 and was replaced with the new Investigatory Powers Act, which I think was enacted last year. However, the previous legislation was the one which forced communications companies to store detailed information on your mobile phone data, emails, texts, and internet communications, i.e. they had to re- I think they had to retain everybody's information for, what is it, two years? Yeah, something like it was like the like that. first and, paragraph and, or the first three headers of your email and some some other yeah, stuff like yeah. that. And, um, I don't think it's the actual contents of the email, but it's it's all the metadata. Anyway, uh, Watson first brought his challenge in 2014. Said this legislation was flawed from the very start, rushed through Parliament before recess without any proper parliamentary scrutiny. The government must now bring forward changes to the Investigatory Powers Act to ensure hundreds of thousands of people, many of whom are innocent victims or witnesses to crimes, are protected by a system which is independent of approval for access to communications data. Now, so what they're ruling is that the previous legislation was illegal, okay? Now, in this article, they have a a little asterisk which says this judgment relates to legislation which is is no longer in force. And crucially, therefore, today's judgment does not change in change the way in which the law enforcement agencies can detect and disrupt crime. However, what it does mean is if there are certain parts of that legislation which are still in effect in the current legislation. so. It's not overturning the Investigatory Powers Act, but it does raise questions about parts of the Investigatory Powers Act. And it means that uh, I believe that means that he has now been granted permission to now lodge, uh, you know, a similar case against the Investigatory Powers Act. It's sort of like it's 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 argue it's a dependency, isn't it? It's like this law was formed on the backbone of this other of ruling, this one which yeah. is considered to now be illegal, you know, or to be un- well, in America they'd say unconstitutional. We don't have a constitution as such here, so you know, it's not a major victory. It's not it's not courts rule investigatory powers act to be completely invalid and must be rewritten immediately. But what it does say is yes. It was based on legislation which is considered to be incorrect, and it is likely to mean that there will have to be amendments made. Uh, specifically, it would appear in relation to this bulk collection of everybody's data, whether they're suspected of doing anything wrong or not. So that's what that one was about. What else have we got? 
Mark? We've got. I said we won't spend too much longer because I'm really excited to get this interview sort of oh, yes. um, edited. So we'll get, so on. We'll we'll get on with Bob very shortly. Uh, let me see. I'll the flat Earth one. The it's Telegram. Got... We, we want to talk about Telegram because we promised we'd follow up, didn't we? Yes. Yes. So yeah, right now, uh, last week we talked about the fact that Telegram had been removed from the app store for a short period due to something you know il- distribution of illegal content it has now apparently come to light now i postulated that it might have something to do with the fact that isis had somehow used it as a way to broadcast uh, propaganda it appears that somehow some people were being served child pornography uh, and i don't mean that people were using telegram to pass child pornography between themselves because it's an encrypted service. That doesn't seem to be the root of the problem. The root of the problem seems to be that somehow or other somebody was distributing child pornography to people who have no desire to see any such thing. Thus, Apple pulled it. Telegram were notified. Telegram issued that uh, statement, which we read out last week, about safeguards. Whatever they did, it was back in the... Uh, it was back in the store within hours. Regardless of what I think about Telegram and how secure it is as an actual secure messaging platform, I, I think I'd like to say really that good on both Apple and Telegram that they reacted to a report of something unpleasant, got straight on the case, found out what was going on, fixed it, and I believe Telegram have said that uh, anybody who was involved in the distribution of such stuff has been reported to the police. So. What can you say? Yeah. You know, it's not really Telegram's fault, I guess, if somebody has figured out a way to use it to distribute stuff they shouldn't be. But good on them. It was pulled. It was stopped. And then then Apple and Telegram agreed that suitable protections were in place and it was allowed back in the store. Yeah. So, Well, I'll tell you what, we're, we'll do one more story because this is... I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this. We'll, we'll end on a high before we go over to our interview with Bob Geiger of Adobe. Flat Earth conspiracy theorist fails to launch homemade rocket again. Infamous Flat Earther Mike Hughes had yet another failed attempt to get his rocket project off the ground on Saturday. Hughes happened to be strapped on Saturday. I'm not even going to edit that. I've got so much to do as it is. On Saturday, Hughes strapped himself himself into his homemade green rocket with the word Flat Earth on the side and was unable to initiate a liftoff. The failure, Hughes said in a post-interview... And so, on oh no, blimey, the failure posted on YouTube was due to a blown. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a child. <laughs> oh, no, no, to be honest, though, when was, I was it, reading this the first time, I couldn't stop giggling. I mean, the guy's a flat earther. He's got a steam powered rocket, which he reckons is going to fire him 1.8 kilometers in the air or something. He failed to launch and. Uh, a load of people who paid five dollars each to uh, have access to the pay-to-view live stream uh, and were. I would have paid for that. He would have got my money just because of the <laughs> fact it fell because of a busted well, over. Nothing happened. Basically, nothing happened. He blamed the the failure on an some sort of actuator, or as one of the websites said, uh, an actuator, or maybe a plunger, or maybe not. I don't know. It didn't work. What happened was we watched for 11 minutes of misery while nothing happened. Um, But it's all a bit weird because he's a flat earther, yet he wants to put himself in a rocket, launch himself up uh, where he can see the curvature of the earth uh, in order to disprove I'm not quite sure what. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I don't know where we go from this. So I'll tell you what. I think, gonna... to be honest, it's just a huge amount of self-promotion, to be honest. I mean, the guys are sort of evil, evil wannabe, truth be told. He's awesome. apparently fired himself across a, some canyon with a steam-powered rocket and various other stuntman-esque type things. So I think it's... Uh, what, what was the one that... Uh, Oh, blimey, I've gone blank. The Australian comedian. He used to do one about the stuntman who used to get in a car and go in a car crusher and things like that. Do you remember that? Oh, no, but that sounds like the... the, the Paul Hogan. Oh, yes. I can't remember. He had a thing with the Australian. They used to put him in the car and, yes, I'm going to go in the car crusher and then the cubed car would come out and they'd go, are you right in there, Mad, Mad Dave or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Oh, Christ, no, I've got a nosebleed. <laughs> I can, I can have to go and reference one, that one and drop some audio in. But I'll, t- oh, I'll, I'll tell you what, yeah, let's just get out of here. We've got some audio queued up. And like I said, we've just, we're actually recording this bit after the bit that we're just about to play you. So as a nice, seamless intro into it, we're going to say goodbye for this week. Uh, and we will leave you, leave you with our rather good interview that we had for an hour again with someone from Adobe. The actual Adobe from that there, America. I still can't believe it, and I'm still bouncing off the walls a little bit. So until next week, uh, we get to have a we get to have a Sunday off, Simon. I well, yeah, we do. Cannot wait because I'll still be recovering from the rugby on the Saturday. Come on, <laughs> Wales! Just throwing that one out there. So until next week, if oh um, no, before I go, if you want to get into our Slack room, what I've been thinking is send a tweet to at Essential Apple saying. Um, well, I don't know, Little Pig, Little Pig, Let Me Down, or I think uh, another show did that, or <laughs> Let Me In, or Oi, what's the crack all about? <laughs> then just send it to at Essential Apple on the Twitter. If you want to get hold of the show, www.essentialapple.com. We're posting stories up there. Well, we will try to be doing that a little bit more this year. And of course, we've got the Facebook, the Googles, and everything else. And Simon, if they want to get a hold, where can they, how can they do so? Uh, well, of course, you can find me on Twitter, and I am Serenak, and that's S-E-R-E-N-A-K. And sometimes I put stuff in the Google Plus room. And we're so we're going to leave you now with Nemo's Hardware Store, and coming up in a minute, and if you're using chapters, you can go straight from the start of the show. I should have put this at the start. You can go straight to the chapters and find out about Elements and Premiere by tapping the button down the below. Anyways, until then... John, it's over to you. And don't forget, use our affiliate links because it really helps us. Cheerio, everyone. See you guys. Nemo's hardware store has two exceptional and innovative accessories for your portable equipment. The first is for your iPad, whether it's a smaller size iPad or the large size iPad. The company is Philofax, F-I-L-O-F-A-X. The product is called AnyTab, E-N-I-T-A-B. Any Tab 360 Tablet Holder sticks to any tablet. The concept is very straightforward. It's two hinged, extremely lightweight and durable pieces of plastic. And on one of them, there is a swiveling, reusable, sticky, round, two-inch piece that adheres to the rear of your tablet, your iPad, and then you prop it up and the stand supports itself, and you can swivel it either to horizontal, landscape, or vertical, portrait mode. It is very, very simple. 
Comes in two colors, beige and black. Costs $20 in the U.S. The Filofax is a well-known company. They've done clever design and engineering, and it's a very stable hinge and rugged plastic considering how light and versatile this product is. You must go to the website to see how it works because I could never explain it. But the best thing is it's easy to stick it on, it's easy to remove it, and it's very easy to have your iPad be propped up in any angle, any position, any orientation with virtually no bulk or weight added to it. This is extremely clever, exceptional value. And if you want to use it with a case, the Filofax company does have cases that are compatible with the AnyTab. Otherwise, you need to have a case that has a rigid back to it, unless you have a naked or commando-style iPad. Because if it goes onto a squishy padded case, it won't work. You'll understand this when you see how it works in action on their website with the little movie that they provide. Once again, the AnyTab, E-N-I-T-A-B 360 tablet holders, two different sizes, two different colors, one really good price. This gets a four thumbs up Nemo's Hardware Store recommendation. I'm going to stock the shelves with these because they are going to go flying out of the hardware store. They are going to be so popular and so well used. Also in the innovation department, there is a rugged, stable, hefty plastic case for the iPhone 10 or X called the Lumi Duo X. L-U-M-E-E-D-U-O-X. Lumi Duo X or 10 for the iPhone 10. Costs $70 in the U.S. Comes in four colors. Beige, marble white, crystal white, and black, which is the one we received. At first glance, it's just a very well-protected rear and side case with all of your ports exposed. Does not cover the front. You'll still need your glass screen protector for the front, and please get one. You snap your iPhone in, and then you charge up the case, and on the back, there is a little button. You press the button once. Lights on the side panel light up for selfie pictures or working on your makeup or working on a project or using it as a flashlight when you're traveling, when you get out of the movie theater. If you need to find something underneath your car, it's quite bright. And even better, if you press and hold that round button on the back, there is quite a range from brightest bright to a little bit dimmer. So it's not always at the exact same illumination. Then you press the button again and the rear pair of lights illuminate. These have a nice warm color temperature, definitely way better than the flashlight that's built into the iPhone. And you can do natural ambient light. You can do night pictures. You can do any type of ambient photography or video, just finding your way. You can read in the dark. There's lots of things you can do using this light on the front and the back. Again, a strong recommendation because the people at Lumi.com, L-U-M-E-E.com, have engineered a very rugged case with a battery built in. They provide a cable for you to charge it up. And once it's charged, you can illuminate the front or the back in a range of brightnesses. Extremely versatile. And the case itself does not add 
tremendous bulk and weight. It's just a reasonable amount. Nice buttons on the side for your volume and your side switch, your multi-purpose switch on the side for the iPhone X. Then I press the button on the back again and the lights go off and it's just a regular old case. Please check out the Lumi Duo X. $70 in the U.S. Four different attractive colors and this will be a very illuminating experience for your new iPhone 10 hardware store back next week. I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's fair to say Adobe is probably going to be the biggest company we are ever going to get on this podcast. So Bob Geiger of Adobe, how the devil are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Mark. Glad to be here. Uh, before when we were before we were recording, I was dazzling you with my in-depth knowledge of San Jose. Just for everyone, just to make our li- listeners a little bit jealous, just go over again. You know what the weather's like there today, for as it's freezing, <laughs> yeah, cold, and snowing uh, here. It's February eighth, and it's kind of approaching seventy degrees at eleven o'clock in the morning. So we got a beautiful day on tap. Now, would I be right in saying that San Jose has the most expensive housing market in the country and the fifth most house, uh, expensive housing market in the world, according to a 2017 De- Demographia International Housing Affordability Study? Well, that sounds about right. It is certainly <laughs> not a cheap place to live these days. Whereabouts do you live then? Are you, in, are you a San Josean or do you commute in? Yeah, I, I commute in from Cupertino, which is one of the local suburbs of San Jose, happens to be the home of Apple Computer. I, if I uh, could throw a rock about a mile, I could throw a rock from my house. To oh, Apple so it was you. You were the guy <laughs> who was pelting the vans a couple of weeks ago with rocks for Google. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Apple in, in Adobe in bitter war. You know, no, what? I, I can... just realised, as Bob said that about chucking a rock, I've just realised all this love for the Apple spaceship. You realise it's all glass. How many, how many times a week do you think they get some punk who thinks they can try and break it by chucking a rock at it? Oh, man, I don't know. <laughs> You're going to have to chuck a pretty big rock. That glass is awful thick. <laughs> I'm going to write to International Business Times and say Adobe may be in bitter war with Apple rivals. <laughs> Because they they will post anything on Apple News, absolutely anything. Yeah, they'll post any old rubbish. Oh, what was it? it was like International Business Times. See, someone lose a load of weight this week. I really don't care. I, I, you know what? I'm going to break my FOMO and I'm just going to block them. But we're not here to talk about International Business Times. Please don't go subscribe to them. In fact, just ban them, ban them. Instead, we're going to have a bit of a chat with Bob about Adobe. So... Blimey, where do we start? Well, let's start with you, Bob. How long have you been working in Adobe? What is your role there on a, on a like day-to-day basis? Yeah, so uh, I've been at Adobe coming up on 14 years. It'll be 14 years this summer. Um, and my job is to watch over all product management-related activities for our consumer photo and video editing products. So that would be Photoshop Elements and Premiere Elements. And no doubt in that time, you must have seen quite a change in the landscape. But we'll, we'll come on to that uh, at the start. How did you actually get working for Adobe then? What, tell us a bit about that process. Yeah, I was actually, uh, prior to Adobe, a couple jobs prior, I was in a mode of my life where I was at a bunch of startups, uh, jumping from one to the other, some lasting longer than others, as, as they tend to do. 
And uh, one of them was a, a company that was doing embedded software for digital still cameras back in the day when uh, digital cameras were new. A one megapixel camera was like the best you could get kind of thing. So early days of, of digital photography. Um, as that company moved on and I went to other places, uh, one of the founders of that company ended up at Adobe. And on day four of his Adobe stint, he gave me a call and said, I got a job for you. You need to come work on our photo stuff. So a few conversations later, I was an Adobe employee. Well, so basically you're saying that you used to be a bit of a hipster and then just bum round and then you were lucky enough to get a job with Adobe. That's yeah, a- yeah. Startups are fun, but Adobe is a fantastic company. Awesome. So what you work in a very specific area of Adobe, isn't it? You work in the elements range. It was did you just sort of fall into that? Or was that was that a path that you you chose? Um, kind of fell into the elements. Uh, started when I first hired into Adobe, I was worried about offering up uh, third-party services through all of our digital imaging products. So an example of that is early on we had a partnership with Kodak. Uh, when they were still in business and, and doing photo printing. Um, and we integrated photo printing services inside of Elements, inside of Photoshop Bridge, uh, inside a Reader. Uh, it's kind of all Adobe products that, that dealt in some way with photos. We made it really easy to print photos uh, through Kodak Gallery. Um, so that's kind of what I spent my early days in and then just kind of, you know, meandered along and before i knew it i was running the elements products and if you're going to give that elevator pitch for those people who may not have well i was going to say may not have heard of adobe elements to be blimey you'd have to be under a rock but just in case there are some people out there what is the sort of elevator pitch you could give about i don't really want to call them the light version of the products i don't think that sort of does it justice but so what would be your pitch to people who are looking for to do stuff with their photos Yeah, so Photoshop Elements is really a version of Photoshop that's built for a different audience from our pro products, right? Photoshop, the full version, is, of course, the world leader in image editing, creative editing, all that kind of great stuff. Um, But there's a lot of power in there, and with a lot of power comes some complexity. And so what we've done is taken the Photoshop editing engine and built a much friendlier user interface on top of it. So it's much more approachable to someone who's doing photo editing casually versus professionally or semi-professionally. So it's kind of Photoshop for the rest of us, although that's not really our tagline, but I kind of think of it that way as as a much easier, much more approachable version of Photoshop. Um, And what we've also done is, is, you know, not only taken some of the more complex features out because the everyday consumer photo editor doesn't need them and they just add complexity. But we've also added a lot of features that make it just easier to use. Um, We've added a lot of automation, a lot of content intelligence um, to really try and simplify photo editing, video editing, sharing, organizing, all those activities that you do around your personal photos uh, try to make that really easy for for our users by bringing the power uh, of Photoshop to life in a, in a much easier way. In the in the sort of tenure that you've had at Adobe, you must have seen some pretty big changes on the horizon. What have been like the standout moments in tech users, and what can you remember about the history 
of being involved in photos that really sticks out in your mind whilst working at Adobe? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple really interesting things that have happened over the years, you know, both within the Elements product, but just in consumer photography in general. In, in a more general way, I think a couple big trends that have happened is, of course, mobile. Uh, mobile has become pretty important recently. Um, your camera is now no longer a, a dedicated device that you carry around like a point and shoot camera or a DSLR. Those cameras still exist, of course, but the bulk of the photos are now coming off camera phones. Um, and early on, they were, you know, acceptable quality and, you know, you could use it for a memory, but it certainly wouldn't be a photo you'd be proud of if you were a little more advanced photographer. But the current generation of phones, the stuff coming off the phone, you know, no matter whether it's a, an iPhone or some kind of Android based device, uh, the cameras in those are just fantastic, and, and you can really get some quality stuff off of them. Um, so that's kind of a big change that's happened that, that we see in the photos that people are editing with Photoshop Elements. The, um, the, the quantity that's now coming from a, from a camera phone uh, is, is really dominant overall, you know, even bigger than DSLRs, which has traditionally been the, the capture device of choice for our customers. Another really big thing that, that we've seen changing and we've taken great advantage of this inside Photoshop Elements is this whole artificial intelligence notion where as computers become more powerful and image processing algorithms can become smarter, there's more photos and libraries that you can, that you can analyze and discern information from. Um, you can do a lot of really smart things for your users whether it be something like face recognition, so you can do some automatic organization and searching, um, or analyzing a photo to figure out which is the best edit that a photo might need. That's kind of a big change that we're just, I think, touching on right now. Um, and I expect that to, to continue to really push the, the industry forward. The whole machine learning thing is really fascinating to me, maybe because I don't understand it. Because you hear, taking it back a step, when you hear about people saying, oh, they're trying to type on their phone, and sometimes you hear the autocorrect as well, and other times it's completely useless. Yeah. You can never tell if that's, how much is that is machine learning, or is that just, you know, oh, I tell you what, just knock the code together, and we'll just blame it on machine learning if it uh, goes <laughs> wrong. Yeah. I mean, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one thing, just going slightly off point, but while you're talking about autocorrect, people love to curse at the autocorrect. When it does make, you know, occasionally bizarre, um, you know, bizarre and random, apparently, cor corrections. Uh, try turning it off. Take it, take it from me. Turn it off and type some stuff and see just how bad you actually type on a phone. In reality, you think you type well and the autocorrect makes an odd, you know, makes these stupid mistakes. Actually, the autocorrect is turning your awful typing into something that's 99% good and we only notice when it does something stupid i'll just throw that in there try turning it off people honestly turn it off completely and type and see what garbage comes out i've had that i've had it where no matter how accurate i've been typing on the screen it's like the it's like i'm having to recalibrate the screen and the only way you could do that is by turning it off and turning it back on again it just suddenly got a load better but anyway, coming back to pictures. So, Bob, you must have seen a great deal of images that have come through Adobe. 
what what iPhone would you say, or what Apple device would you say really marked the start of you know, these pictures are good enough now? You don't have to worry about you know they're not that grainy. The megapixel count is right. I know it's not all about megapixels. The CMOS sensor is right. What sort of at what point did you realize what was a phone that was the tipping point where people went, you know what, I'm not going to carry around a, a DSLR? Yeah, I, know, I, I can speak from my personal experience. I went from the iPhone 5 to the iPhone 7, skipped over the 6. Um, and the 7 was the one for me that sort of made me feel like, okay, this, this camera I've got in my pocket all the time is now good enough. You know, I still still take I still have a DSLR, just bought a new mirrorless DSLR, all that kind of good stuff. So, you know, I still have a higher end camera, but I find that, you know, the photos I take with my iPhone 7 at this point are good enough for most of the things I do with it. I've, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the local Santa Clara Camera Club and we have competitions and, you know, I submit as many photos off of my iPhone 7 as I do off of my new Sony mirrorless. So, you know, it's kind of there at this point. Um, I haven't gotten a 10 yet, but um, I imagine that's just even better. Maybe I'll just sell my my mirrorless camera at some point. I'd quite like to to talk about the history of Elements, Bob, because obviously it's not, you know, it's not an, a new product, is it? Uh, Elements has been going a long time now. Um, yeah. I think if I if my memory serves, um, I'm pretty sure Elements One was born out of the previous product, which was Photoshop LE, and I think it came to market in about 2000. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's about right. Uh, that was before I was at Adobe, but yeah, that's that's probably about right. Um, and yeah, Photoshop LE was sort of our first uh, attempt at a limited edition LE uh, of Photoshop. And then um, we sort of focused in on it strongly with the Elements product. And yeah, that version one, essentially uh, what the team who was here at the time did was they took Photoshop, they stripped a bunch of features out and shipped it as Photoshop Elements. So it still felt like Photoshop. It's still... Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do know that the, er, the early versions of Elements um, were very much marketed uh, on, on the idea they were... Um, they used to use the tagline, 85% of the, of the power of Photoshop for 15% of the price. Yeah, that was very much their marketing tag, and it was very much true. They stripped out a few features, which very much were for professionals. You know, uh, like for example, CMYK values and um, the ability to use ICC profiles and and a few things like that. Right. Which yeah. which at, certainly at the time, your average uh, home user would have had no use for whatsoever. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, marketed a fraction of the price, and and that, of course, was a, a good and very aggressive marketing tactic because it, it did, it did get it a foothold in in the in the marketplace because everybody wanted Photoshop, but I mean back in those days, you know, you were looking at a thousand dollars a copy, so. Uh, marketing uh, first LE and then the early versions of of elements that way 
was was you know well i guess you would call it a stroke of marketing genius to be honest <laughs> i think so uh, uh, and, and of course you know elements has then come a long way as you say i mean i know uh, i mean i'm a professional photoshop user so i don't use elements but i do know that elements has a lot of features that uh you know a professional photographer type user would would not want to use such as you know automatic red eye removal or you know automatic shadow adjustments those sort of things but they're things which home users you know they don't really need or want to be fiddling about with complicated curves and um that sort of thing they want to be able to put the eyedropper on the highlight and and the shadow and say can you adjust this for me so it looks nice and uh, yeah. that's very much I, I understand where as elements has progressed that's become very much part of its strategy to say you know can we add things that average users want to do and we can we can do this with scripts and with machine learning and algorithms that allow us to analyze the picture and then you know have simple one or two button adjustment type tools yeah, exactly. Yeah, as, as you point out, early, you know, early on, Elements was just a, a feature reduced version of Photoshop. But we've really having both products in market has allowed us to to focus in on the needs of different market segments. So Photoshop remains the tool for the pros and the semi pros, where Elements is the tool for that everyday photo editor. And they they, as you were just describing, they have very different needs. Um, the pros want the ability to get in there and, you know, very precisely control things where the everyday consumer photo editor, you know, that stuff can be kind of overwhelming. You, you give them a histogram and it's like, what is that? I have no idea what that means. I don't know how to manipulate the, the controls to, to make my photo look good. You know, just show me some simple controls that, that get the result I want. Um, and in fact, if you can do it in, a, in an automated way, you know, one click, fix my photo, um, that's actually much preferable to a lot of the, the everyday photo editor folks. Yeah, uh, yeah, obviously. And um, I, as I say, I, I'm not being an Elements user, but I do remember many years ago, Photoshop used to have uh, an adjustment tool called Variations, uh-huh. which always struck me as a slightly odd tool to be in a professional photo application because it was a it was like a grid and you started in the middle and it you know it was like a grid of nine so there were eight options around the outside and where you are now in the middle and you could go you click you know uh more more red uh, right. or less red more blue right. less blue right. lighter darker um you know more contrast less contrast that always struck me as very much the sort of tool that something like elements you know would fit much better in elements where you know a home user can look at that because you can see in the grid what where you're going and you you kind of you can click across one time at a time more, more red a bit more red a bit more red all too much go back a bit you know right um and i don't know if if elements has that sort of tool now but th that that always struck me as very much the sort of tool that home users would prefer as yeah. you say, opposed to all this fiddling about with histograms and things. Right, exactly. And and where we've kind of taken elements in, in this area is one of the things that's, that's been a challenge for us over the years is, you know, we, we 
create a product for a certain kind of user and you know even people who have those those particular needs of you know what type of editing they're doing their skill set with computers it varies quite a bit so we have some very beginning users and we have some more expert users and the way we've answered that challenge is photoshop elements actually has a couple different editing modes so there's something that we call quick edit which is designed for that more beginning user with less technical skills. And there's something called expert edit, which is you know, much more like the Photoshop experience, if you will, with a bunch of tools and, and all the great power. Um, but in that, in that quick edit mode, you know, kind of like that variations feature that you just talked about, when you, when you come in and do something like adjust exposure, what we do is take your photo and show you nine different versions of exposure on top of your photo. And you can very quickly visually see the one you like, click on it, and you're done. You don't have to fiddle about with a bunch of sliders and, and whatnot to get the get the exposure right. You just look at the one that looks good to you, and, and there you go. It's as quick as that. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the way we approach solving the photo editing need for the beginning photo editor. Just make it really easy. What do you, you know, see what you like, one click and you're done. The thing is, I think sometimes, you know, we've had some of your competitors on here. We've had, we've had Pixelmator and we've had uh, uh, Luminar and all the people we said that we weren't going to mention at the start of the show. <laughs> well, no, but you know, let's be fair. Yeah. Bob, Bob, photography is one of the few things that probably every single computer user does and this is something that comes up at our mac user group all the time you know sometimes people say why do you have so many meetings where we're talking about photography or photography related software and the answer always comes back because that's the one thing that every single member of this group does at some point not everybody does you know audio recording not everybody does graphic design not everybody does spreadsheets not everybody does whatever yeah. but everybody yeah. basically everybody takes got some photos they're working with everybody takes photographs and wants to edit. and like you're saying in our in our group you know we have a broad church of people from some who are uh, well past retirement age they've got a mac they've got an iphone their technical knowledge is very little but they still know that you know they can take the photographs from their iPhone, put them on the Mac, and with the correct application, they can adjust those to their liking. And so, and at the other end, we have people who are professional photographers who have been working at the high end for 20, 30 years and started out, you know, with Photoshop One. So there's a place in the market for all these things. And what is what is right for one person? It's the old thing, isn't it? One man's garbage is another man's gold. A, prof a professional photographer at the high end is not going to be in the least bit interested in something that offers a lot of quick fixes because that's that's not what they need. Right. But somebody like you know, like my son, who's who's ten. He wants to take a photograph and when he puts it on the computer screen, if it's too dark or too red or too yellow, he wants to be able to bring up something that says, how do I make this less yellow or less red or less dark? So, you know, there, there is a mark. And I, you know, how do you see yourself positioned against the various competitors? 
Yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting. There's um, the competitors to me come in two classes. You know, I don't want to say they're they're not competing with elements, but they're kind of a little bit different. There's the the real low end guys. You know, essentially the free apps that are out there. Um, whether they come with your with your Mac, something like Photos these days, or you know something free on your phone, um, that do just those basic things, right? Adjust some color, adjust you know maybe let you crop, maybe let you resize or or change the you know get the yellows out of your photo. Um, and then there's the other competitors, you know the ones you mentioned and others. They're really not coming after Elements. They're coming after Photoshop. And they're trying to create a, a competition to Photoshop, you know, to get those pro users and to get to get to that market where Elements is actually in between the two. So once you start to outgrow the free stuff and you want to do a little bit more, but you're not ready to jump into, you know, a much more complicated tool, that's, excuse me, that's really where Elements uh, shines. So it, it allows you to step up without becoming overwhelmed with all the, the fancy stuff that's in Photoshop, uh, it still lets you do the things you want to do, but in a much more approachable way. Um, and it's actually more, you know, of course it does all the same stuff the free stuff does to, to adjust exposure or color balance or whatnot. Um, but what we really try and do is bring to life uh, creative editing um, for folks that, you know, they know they want to create a cool looking photo they have no idea how, you know, maybe they can find a, a tutorial on Photoshop and, and walk through the steps, but it's more about, you know, achieving a result without actually having to master a complicated tool. And so earlier I, I mentioned that we have two editing modes, a quick edit mode and an expert edit mode. There's actually a mode in between that we call guided edits and the guided edits that are built in, they're essentially built in tutorials. So you you look at this library of all the cool different things that you can do with your photos and you pick a guided edit and it'll literally walk you step by step uh, through the, the editing tasks to achieve that result. Um, so an example of that would be one we call Photo Merge Compose, which lets you copy something out of one photo and paste it in another. You know, a lot of folks, you know, they've got a couple photos, they take a group photo, but they're not in it because they're the one taking the photo. <laughs> And then they hand the camera to someone else and they go get in the photo. You know, how do you, how do you blend those two photos together to create a single shot where everybody at that event is in the picture? Um, of course you can do it in Photoshop and you can master layers and masks and copying and pasting and, you know, all that stuff. But if you're not a Photoshop expert, that's kind of a daunting task. And so this guided edit, one of the, the many guided edits that we have literally makes you successful in achieving an edit like that when you really don't have to have any idea what you're doing, but you can still get cool results. So that's kind of where Elements sits, right? We're, we're helping those beginner users get their photos looking good. We're helping those beginning users get their photos being more creative without having to master the complex tools that, that, that are really designed for the professional photo editor. Well, thanks for that. I wasn't aware actually, uh, of the guided edit mode. I, I, I like that. That sounds that sounds very, very good. It's sort of, yeah, when you're ready to step beyond the sort of one or two button push edit. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, when, when it, it's sort of like when the goal is not just to have a, a good-looking photo from a, you know, exposure and color perspective, but actually have a creative photo. 
there's things like the, you know, copying something out of one photo, pasting it in the other. Um, we do things like, you know, create a zoom burst effect or create a tilt shift effect or create a color pop effect. That's one of the more popular ones where you just, you know, can click on a photo, sample the color that you clicked on. It'll convert everything else to black and white, but keep that one color. So that's kind of a, a, a cool effect, really easy to do that, that is part of our guided edit library. Is there, a, is there one particular feature that's sort of you're most proud of and the one that you really like to shout from the rooftops other than the sort of being able to superimpose? In fact, that's given me an idea. Hmm. What yeah, I could, there's... Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure that's been used for some nefarious purposes because was, there was that uh, what was it, machine learning face swap program used for, should we say, um, adult industry images? Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyway, going off, yeah, slightly going off topic. Yeah, what would you say that you're the feature that sort of you're really most proud of in the elements range at the moment? Yeah, I think some of the, the I don't know that there's one, but it's more kind of some of the stuff that we've been doing with AI over the last couple of releases. Um, so one of the really cool features that we shipped in last year's version is something that we call adjust facial features. And you know, we marketed the marketing tagline was turn that frown upside down. And it's a really cool feature where you can open up a photo. Uh, it will detect the face. It will find the eyes. It will find the lips. It will find the nose, the ears, the jawbone. It, you know, it'll find all these facial features and then give you some sliders to manipulate them. And so one of the sliders is for the lips. And you can literally take a photo where somebody is is frowning slide the slider to the right and it lifts the edges of the lips. So that frown is now a smile. And so you can save a photo, but it, it also do things like, you know, if they were squinting, uh, it'll help open up the eyes. So it looks like they weren't squinting. Uh, you can, you can shrink your nose, you can shrink your ears, you can shrink your jawbone, you know, all with simple sliders. You don't have to worry about making selections and masks and copying, pasting, all that kind of transforming stuff. We use the, the artificial intelligence stuff that, that we have at our disposal to make it just really easy to do that stuff for users. Another one that we that we shipped in Elements 2018, uh, we call Open Closed Eyes. And this one, I don't know if you guys have, have seen this one, but it's... Uh, I, yeah, it's it's sort of like, um, what was the show? My Name is Earl, where he's, it's impossible that ev- whenever he takes a photo, he closes his eyes. Yeah, yeah. So you're always going to get those photos. You know, you got a great photo, but somebody blinked. And what people typically do is take three or four or five until they get a photo where everybody's eyes are open. Well, with open, closed eyes, again, we analyze the photo, we find the faces, we find the eyes. And then you can go in and pick eyes from other photos of that same person. And Photoshop Elements just does all the copying, pasting, blending, color, brightness adjustment. So it looks like their eyes are open in that original picture. Um, it's, it's quite magical. Uh, and you can also do, you know, you don't have to use eyes from the same person. You could, you know, put your wife's eyes on you if you wanted to do such a thing. And that can create some pretty interesting photographs. But if you're really just after kind of getting that photo to look good, um, picking up the eyes from other photos of the same person and blending them in automatically is is pretty magical. Yeah, I've, I've seen that on the that's on your uh, on your website, isn't it? I've seen yeah. that. That's, that's yeah. touted on the on the uh, elements page, and and it's that's pretty spectacular. That's a the sort of thing actually that home users would really like to be able to do. I'm sure. Um, yeah. and, 
we, we haven't talked at all actually about premiere now i'm i'm not really much of a photographer despite the fact that i spend quite a lot of time in photoshop and i'm certainly not a videographer but i'm sure some of the people listening may well be so tell us a bit about the uh, adobe premiere elements bob yeah so premiere elements is a companion product to photoshop elements to do your video editing um, and it's, it's basically the same model. We take uh, Premiere Pro, which is that uh, Adobe product for pro-level feature-length film video editors, uh, and we you know, change the features around a little bit, make it more appropriate for an everyday consumer video editor, uh, easier to use, more approachable, all that same kind of stuff that, that I've described with Photoshop elements we do inside Premiere elements. And one of the trends, you know, back to, to your early question about trends that are changing, video is actually over the last few years really starting to become much more prominent in people's photo catalogs. You know, again, I, I, I relate it back to the, the camera phone, right? Those. I was going to say, I think that's very much due to the rise of decent quality video being available through your, exactly. your iPhone or your, your Samsung or whatever. Whereas you know, I remember when I was in my teens, and you're probably the same, Bob, that you remember those guys who got into shooting video early and they literally were carrying the equivalent of a VHS recorder on exactly. their shoulder, yeah. you know, and it took the full-size tapes and you had, they had this camera that was the size of a suitcase. Uh-huh. And, and, of course, and then we moved on. Obviously, they got smaller. You got down to decent handheld. I mean, uh, I had a, a Sony, a small Sony. I didn't keep it very long because I never used it. It turned out to be a complete waste of money for me. But, I mean, now everybody's got the ability to, and, and a lot of us, to take even 4K video and good quality at that. Exactly. Just by whipping this, you know, magic square out of our pocket. So, of course, that's going to make video that much more popular. Yeah, yeah, and we're seeing it in in the catalogs of uh, you know media that we're we're working with with elements. Video is becoming a much more uh, higher percentage of the the overall media that they're that they're working with. Um, and of course, you know, video editing, you know, photo editing can become daunting. Uh, video editing is is really daunting, right? You know, present a, an everyday user with a, a multi-track timeline of audio and video and effects and titles and different tracks, and and that that can really quickly become overwhelming. So, Premier Elements is all about trying to solve that problem for folks. Uh, again, Premier Elements has a a quick edit mode, it has an expert edit mode, and it has those guided edits as well. So, if you're trying to do something like a picture in picture. Uh, which is kind of a cool effect that people like to do. Figuring that out in expert mode, you know, you got to know what you're doing. But if you just click on the guided edit for picture in picture, uh, it'll walk you through how to create such a thing. So you can be successful with, you know, literally not having to know what you're doing, uh, but you can still create some cool picture in picture type videos. So Premiere Elements is becoming much more important for us just because video capture is becoming more predominant and therefore people want to edit their video, whether it's a simple trim, you know, they're, they're at a birthday party and they pull their video out or their camera out and they're taking a video of blowing out the cake and they've got, you know, four minutes when really only 30 seconds of it is interesting. You know, how do they get that, that 30 seconds out of that four minute video? 
that's what Premier Elements is about. Um, and we even do one of the really cool things back to the, the artificial intelligence. Um, one of the features that's in, new in the latest release of Premier Elements is, um, is a tool that will analyze your video and then automatically clip out the good bits and throw away the bad bits. And so you don't have to worry about trimming and finding the exact spot. Uh, Premier Elements will do that automatically for you. So it's really a, a, a great tool, making video editing really a lot easier and a lot more approachable to someone who doesn't want to spend a bunch of time learning a complicated video editing program. Have you found that with the rise of YouTube and Google and what's the Microsoft one? God, that shows how well it's been embedded in my head. As we had this boom, have you seen your sales sort of um, spike to sort of has it grown with the boom or have you been on a fairly consistent? Oh God, I was going to say something very marketing then, but have you been on a fairly consistent trajectory? I feel a bit yeah, ill after we, saying that. Yeah, we've been on a, a pretty consistent trajectory. Um, I think video, you know, with the boom of things like YouTube has become more important to users. Um, we've done a lot of integration work to the popular sharing sites. Um, is sort of how we've approached that whole boom. So uh, as well as the two editors in the family, the, the Photoshop Elements Editor for your photos, Premiere Elements Editor uh, for your videos, we have a, a tool that we call the Elements Organizer, where you manage all of your photos and videos in one spot, create albums, uh, create slideshows, uh, do, do a bunch of that sort of organizational and, and presentation stuff. Built into the Organizer are direct connections to things like YouTube, Twitter, uh, Facebook. And so all those popular sharing sites, we've made it really easy to get your media up into the cloud on those sites and share out with friends and family. And so, yeah, we've really tapped into the popularity of, of things like YouTube or Facebook, uh, by making it really easy inside the product to, to share to those sites. No, I don't know if we you can feel free to not answer this question, but when iMovie went free, did you find that that hindered or helped you? Because in some ways, iMovie is not a bad little package. Now, I've done one, maybe one and a half YouTube videos that I've only got about 5,000 views on a lucky, lucky day. And so, so quickly, I was butting up against the restrictions of a free movie editor. So I just wonder, where does sort of Adobe Premiere Elements, where does that stand in regards to, you know, the free thing that uh, Apple offers? Yeah, you know, it's sort of the same way I described it with Apple Photos, right? There's the free level tools that, you know, meet the needs of a lot of people. And, and that's fine. You know, you can get your photo editing done. You can get a lot of your basic video editing done. But, you know, pretty quickly, someone who's wanting to do anything interesting is going to bump up against the limitations of that free stuff. Yep. And again, that's where we position the Elements products as, okay, when, when you've hit the limit of the free stuff, you know, we're going to give you that next step up. And so you don't have to take 10 steps up to the pro-level tools. You know, you can take a natural one step up into elements and actually do more interesting things than are available in those free tools, more creative things um, and, and not really have to feel overwhelmed by all of the capabilities and be able to accomplish those goals in a pretty easy way. And I, I would I would guess, Bob, you, you probably agree with me here that 
what what you're really saying is that if you can start with elements and you can start in the the easy mode, progress through the guided mode into the expert mode, and then by the time you feel that you're competent with that, you're probably ready to, if you need to expand further, to step up to Photoshop or Premiere Pro and not, you know, not be confronted by something that just makes your eyes pop out of your head. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. So the way you described it is exactly how we think about it, right? So you're using the free stuff, you outgrow the free stuff, you step up into the quick mode for elements. Yeah, eventually you're going to want to do more than quick mode supports. And that's what guided is all about to help you, you know, learn how to do those, those more interesting edits. And then after a while, you're a user of expert mode because you've learned how to do a lot of stuff using the guided edits. You don't, you don't need those guides anymore. And it's, you know, for a lot of users, that's kind of, you know, expert mode is enough, but also for a lot of users, eventually they're going to outgrow the expert mode in elements. And that's where Photoshop and Premiere Pro are available. And, and the beauty of having them come from the same company uh, and the same organizations within that company is when you step up to that next level tool, it feels familiar. You don't have to start over. You don't have to learn something from scratch. You know, even, even though the Elements products have a different look and feel, a different user interface, um, they still come from the same design organization the same user experience organization. So it's all built out of the same great stuff and feels familiar as you move up the, the, the product capability chain. And that's really important to people, right? The last thing you want to do when you buy a new software package is have to completely relearn the stuff that you've been working with for years. So it's a real nice progression for those folks who do move up that capability chain. One of the things I was just sort of chatting away to you there in the background was that in the UK, it's fair to say we have more gloomy days than we do bright days. And I was wondering, does your Element software have a feature where if I'm recording indoors and you've got those horrible, horrible energy saving bulbs that whenever you record anything, it looks that lovely, lovely tinge of smokers yellow. It, <laughs> yeah. Does it cope with that now? Yeah, so so we've got uh, one of the one of the enhancement features that we've got is something we call adjust color cast, and so you know that that yellow tinge uh, is a color cast that's over all of your photo caused by the lighting. So you can go into adjust color cast, um, and using it is as simple as clicking on something that's supposed to be white or black or gray, and we take it from there. We figure out okay, you clicked on something that that you think is white but it's really not white because of the color cast caused by the lighting. And then we go adjust the rest of the photo to compensate for that, to, to remove that particular color cast. Um, so that's sort of the basic, you know, the easiest way to do it. If you're a little more sophisticated of a, a photographer, you're, you've probably got a nicer camera and you're shooting uh, in the raw format. Um, so we have Adobe Camera Raw inside of Elements as well. And you can get get your photo open in Adobe Camera Raw, and it's a, a incredibly powerful tool for doing those kind of things. You know, getting rid of a color cast, adjusting highlights or shadows so they're not blown out. You know, again, it's sort of there's a, a real easy way. Just click on your photo where it's the wrong color, and and we take care of it. And then there's the more sophisticated way by by using Adobe Camera Raw. Damn it. 
you've just given you've just got rid of my excuse not to do any YouTube videos. Go, oh no, can't do it. It's it's just too yellow. I haven't got the lighting. I haven't got the money for the professional lights. And now you've just destroyed my one excuse to be lazy in the evenings. <laughs> Thanks, a blinking bunch. Yeah. I, I know we've got a couple of people in the Slack room who I know are going to get a little bit iffy with me if I don't ask this. Right at the start, you mentioned you had a DSLR. So what is your pro equipment? Just so I can throw that one out there to our lovely, lovely Slack people. Uh, my personal equipment? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I wouldn't, I don't know if I call it pro equipment, but I used to use a Canon 60D um, and I just recently purchased a Sony 6500. Uh, so I, I made the shift to mirrorless and went with the crop sensor versus a full frame because I was really after uh, weight or, or lightness and the opposite of, of weight. Um, right. I wanted a camera that didn't feel like an anchor hanging around my, my neck. So it was much easier to take me with me when I went places. So that's what I used is the Sony 6500 and I'm absolutely loving it. And to Ray Docs, we've only got you for an hour. What would say, what would be your one big tip you can give to someone listening to this and they want to give elements a try? What would, what would be your ultimate beginners tips for elements? Yeah, so I think the the ultimate tip is you know bring some photos in, uh, try that that quick edit mode. You know if you want to do those adjustment type edits, but really to to start to enjoy the power of elements, explore the guided edits. There's some there's I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but it's like fifty some odd guided edits, and there's a whole bunch of them, and it, they really help you get creative with your photos to turn a, a photo. You know, instead of just a good picture, uh, turn it into more of a creative uh, piece of art that when you share it with your family and friends, you know, the typical reaction you're going to start getting is, wow, you know, how did you do that? People start to, to see and they put you in that class of, you know, you're a really great photographer, uh, even though the photo you started with maybe just a so-so photo, but you've used one of these guided edits to turn it into something really interesting. So, so yeah, if, if, if you want to get into elements, I think the, the tip would be make sure you try out that guided edit mode. I think that's where a lot of the, the fun and power really comes to life. And of course, the same question for the premiere offering. What would you say would be your first beginner's tip or do your best handy tip you can get anyone for starting to use the video editing package? Yeah, for video, it's it's a little bit different because a lot of people haven't had you know, any experience with video editing, and it it can be daunting if when you first get into it. So, sticking in that quick edit mode um, to do some of your basic video edits is really what a beginning video editor should should sort of focus on as they get started. Once you become familiar with that. Take a look at the guided edits, much like Photoshop Elements, Premiere Elements has a bunch of guided edits in it. Excuse me. And, you know, really start to experiment with something just a little more complicated than basic trimming or splitting or color adjustment. So that's kind of when I think about Premiere Elements, it's really how do we, you know, how do we make it really easy for someone that's been taking a lot of photos and maybe has some photo editing experience? uh, You know, how do we make them successful as well in their in their beginning life? of being a video editor. And that's really what that quick edit mode in Premiere Elements is all about. 
Awesome. Well, I know we've only got you for an hour, so I just want to say we've probably got to start wrapping up now. So, Bob, thank you very, very much for coming on. Um, I would say show yourself, but I'm pretty sure that everyone on the planet could go to adobe.com uh, and go and find out more about your products. But have you got any other social medias, websites, resources, things that you want to shill whilst we've got you for a few more moments? Yeah, I think probably one of the, you know, of course, adobe.com, go to go to our website, scroll down to the bottom and, and in the kind of links along the bottom, one of them is the uh, Elements family. And so it's pretty easy to get to the product pages for Elements. Of course, there's a free trial. If you want to give it a try, you can download the free trial and play around with it for 30 days and, and see if you like it or not. Um, for social media, I think the best place is Facebook. We have a Photoshop Elements Facebook page, and there's you know constant stuff being posted that you know is either explicitly focused on Elements or just around consumer photography in general. Right? Not everything we post there is trying to sell you Elements. It's just to help inspire you to to do stuff. And on that Facebook page, you know you can post messages. Uh, asking questions about how can I do this or how can I do that. Um, and I check in there pretty much two to three times a day and try and give people quick answers to their questions, links to tutorials, all that kind of stuff to, to make sure people have the information they need to be successful with the product. So, you know, Facebook page is probably the best social media site if, if you want to sort of engage with the Elements products. Awesome. And we will have links to all of that in the show notes and over on EssentialApple.com. Bob Geiger from Adobe, thank you ever so much for joining this week. We really, really do appreciate it. And I think you will be the biggest company we may ever get on the show, unless we have a, a moment. Uh, before Bob goes, not, uh, not only would I say thank you very much for coming on and say thank you to uh, Roman, who uh, organized this for us, but I would also say if you go to the website, there is, in fact, a deal on, isn't there, Bob? If You can buy, uh, I think they're in the UK, they retail for about £90 a piece, I think. But there's a deal on if you buy both packages, uh, there's a fairly substantial discount if you buy both together. Yeah, yeah. We have normal pricing if you buy both together, there's a discount. But from time to time, we run promotions. Um, and I think there's one going on right now where you can get some pretty – pretty fantastic deals. So, you know, back to back to the early marketing model of, you know, 85% of the power of Photoshop for 15% of the cost. Um, that's, that's still there for you. And I think we've got our show title. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't tell the Photoshop team. <laughs> Well, they haven't come on yet. When they come on, then we might side allegiances with them. But uh, uh, no, thank you very much for coming on and supporting our small little podcast and for giving us an hour out of your day. You bet you guys. Thanks for your time. Brilliant. Cheers, Absolutely. Bob. Thank you ever so much.